Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Pastor Amanda Goldbeck. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, we praise and thank you for all our mothers who have blessed and nurtured us to be like you. Please open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your words is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking to Colinius and his relatives and close friends, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just that we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let us pray. Holy God, as we come to you this day, may we come with hearts opened, ears opened to a new way you might be calling us to hear your word. May the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you. Amen. Theologian and professor Willie James Jennings describes the book of Acts by saying, the book of Acts speaks of revolution. We must never forget, forget this. It depicts life in the disrupting presence of the spirit of God. As we continue our journey through the book of Acts, it is this disrupting presence of the spirit of God that we encounter most directly through our text for today. But before we can dive too deeply into the portion of scripture we just heard read, and in order that we might understand the significance of the event we are brought into, we need to situate ourselves within the larger progression of the book of Acts. There is a great deal that happens prior to our reading that informs our short selection of scripture. 
Last week, we heard the story of Philip and his interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch that comes at the end of chapter 8. And from there, we continue following the Holy Spirit and the disciples as Saul has his conversion experience on the road of Damascus and becomes Paul, the beginning of chapter 9. And then towards the end of chapter 9, we follow Peter to Lydda, where he heals Aeneas. And then when he goes to Joppa and brings Dorcas back from the dead. And then, then we arrive at Acts 10, which directly precedes our reading. We encounter a spiritual but not religious Gentile named Cornelius, who lives in Caesarea along the Mediterranean Sea, who is a centurion in the Roman Legion in what is known as the Italian Regiment. This Gentile centurion has had a vision of an angel of God telling him to go and fetch an apostle of Jesus named Peter. And then further along in Acts 10, Peter has a vision of his own. Now, while Cornelius's vision was pretty straightforward, Peter's vision is far from sensible. Peter goes and prays on the roof of his friend's house, and he happens to be hungry. And while the food is being prepared, he falls into a trance and sees a, a sheep being lowered down from the heavens, filled with all of the foods that good, righteous Jews are not allowed to touch, much less eat. And apparently, still at this time, Peter is keeping kosher. And a voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds, by no means, Lord, you know I can't eat what is profane and unclean. Peter knew himself to be a good Jew, to be observant of the law of Moses. Certain foods were profane according to the law and were not eaten. But the voice, it speaks again, what God has made, you must not call profane. And this back and forth continues twice more. And then, before Peter can make heads or tails of the vision, the sheet is snatched up into heaven. And Cornelius's men are knocking at the door to take Peter on a trek from Joppa, where Peter was staying, to Caesarea. The Holy Spirit says go, so Peter does. Not knowing where he is going, he goes with Cornelius's men arriving at the Gentile house. He realizes that Cornelius is having a genuine experience of God. So he starts in. He gets to work. He begins preaching, of all things, to explain some things about this God who has given Cornelius visions. But Peter can't finish his sermon. The Holy Spirit short circuits the usual order of things and pours through the room, which brings us to our reading for today. Let's listen to it one more time. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. 
The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. So much happens in the narrative of the early church in just these few chapters. I wonder how Peter felt about all the things he was being asked to do in Jesus' name. To do the unexpected can always feel a little bit strange or a bit bewildering. I mean, I imagine that when Peter said yes to following Jesus, he wasn't expecting to find himself speaking on behalf of Jesus. Sure enough, though, that initial yes to discipleship was a slippery slope. Next thing Peter knew, he was leading this ragtag bunch of disciples as they worked to proclaim the truth and saving power of Jesus Christ in the post-resurrection world. Then proclaiming this truth in word wasn't enough. He was called on to proclaim this truth through deed, through healing people, even raising people from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. In each of these instances, widening the footprint of the church, the church being Christ's continuing mission in the world. Then Peter is given this vision and called to a home of a Gentile. Suddenly what started out as a yes to following Jesus has turned into a life-altering, boundary-stretching, full-time, all-consuming vocation. Little by little, the Holy Spirit keeps nudging Peter further and further to step deeper and deeper and more fully into the call that God has placed on his life. I, I do wonder if there was a point, especially after this vision, that Peter wanted to say, okay, whoa, enough. Enough is enough. I, I know I would have been a bit exhausted by the whole thing. But Peter, Peter is trying to be a responsible disciple, trying to do his part to bring his fellow Jews around to accepting Jesus, Jesus as the Messiah. And God, well, God keeps changing the rules on him. Now it's not only the Jews who are included, but the Gentiles, non-Jews for the Jewish Messiah. Not only that, but He's asked to move past the rituals and traditions that he has known his entire life. Everything he has held dear to is brought in to question. Peter, Peter doesn't throw up his hands and give up or refuse. Instead, instead, he listens to the Holy Spirit and he shows up at Cornelius' house. There are two points in this experience of Peter at Cornelius' house that I think are most important for us as individuals of faith and as a community of faith. 
for us as First Presbyterian Church of Evanston in 2021. The first one being, Peter goes where God directs him. Peter is willing to go where the Holy Spirit is calling him, even when it may be uncomfortable or confusing or contradictory to what he thinks he knows. Following the Holy Spirit is one of the single most difficult pieces of the Christian faith. Because to follow the call of the Spirit rubs up against our deep human desire to be in control. The Holy Spirit keeps us from domesticating the resurrection, of making God's power our own. God's power moves in our lives and world, bringing little inbreakings of the kingdom, tossing our lives and world upside down, all for the greater glory of God. In Peter's experience, it is present in the ever-growing boundary of who belongs to Jesus. Every time Peter turns around, the definition of who is in and who is out is changed. Like Peter, we face an ever-changing landscape. The narrative that has defined the mainline church since I entered seminary and, well, even some years before that, has been the narrative of decline. Decline of Christian membership in churches and the changing Christian landscape. It is an intriguing narrative to me. A narrative of decline that I believe the secular world has thrust on us and we haven't been particularly good at speaking against. I am not for putting my head in the sand. I see the statistics. I actually recently have been going through old files here at FPCE, and I've seen the children ministry rosters that once had over 100 children on them. We do not have 100 children in our ministry currently, not for lack of faithful striving and deep prayer and devoted volunteers. I am not in denial that churches have shrunk that churches have closed, that the religious landscape has changed. The Presbyterian Foundation recently announced that around 500 churches closed in 2020 alone. 500. But I will not look at such a thing through a secular lens, and I challenge each of us to not look at it through a secular lens. For I am a Christian, my faith in Christ compels me to see it differently. Death. Death is not decline. It isn't the end. It is an opportunity for something new, for new life, for new ideas, for the Holy Spirit to transform and bring about the kingdom of God in new and needed ways. Death leads to resurrection. As Christians, we know death is ultimately not to be feared, but we often struggle to live into this. Instead of embracing change, we fight it because we are afraid of loss, of the loss we perceive 
that must come with change. So we ignore the necessity of change or reject it or entirely or we grab on to what we think we know more tightly. In the church, it usually manifests itself in two ways. Either we find other people who agree with us and create our little, own little stronghold of like-mindedness or we simply walk away. What if, what if like Peter, we showed up? What if we went towards that which is confusing and uncomfortable and let it transform us? What if the Holy Spirit is calling us to be part of the change? Here is the second point that is important about Peter's experience at Cornelius' house. Peter showed up ready to do what he had always done. He was ready to preach, to tell Cornelius and his household all about this God that had been giving him visions. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit didn't need those words. The Holy Spirit, in this instance, did not need Peter's preaching because God was already present and at work in and with Cornelius. Peter quickly made room for the Holy Spirit when he remarked, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter doesn't need to be the interpreter for God anymore. Rather, he is called to see where the Holy Spirit is going and try to keep up. I don't think this is by, I don't think it is by accident that this is the last major speech given by Peter recorded in the book of Acts. God is doing a new thing, and Peter follows. What does it look like to follow instead of lead? Peter realizes that it's not up to him to build the future church because he is only an instrument of what the Holy Spirit is already doing and at work in. And his task is to follow, to follow and lean into the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This is yet another paradox of Christian faith. We are called to lead and to witness, but that leading and witnessing is actually done through following and listening to our God as expressed through the Holy Spirit. Listening, leading, witnessing, listening, leading, witnessing, all, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are, all, we are arguably in a unique time. We're beginning to stagger into a post-pandemic world. And honestly, who knows what that ultimately will mean? I don't, personally. We are wrestling with what the last year has meant in our personal lives and in our collective life as a community of faith. On many varying levels, I think we are all asking, what does the future hold for me, for my family, for my children, for my parents or grandparents or grandkids? What does the future hold for my journey of faith? 
What does the future hold for my journey as a Christian? What does the future hold for the children and youth of this congregation? What does the future hold for all of us here at FPCE? Our challenge as we move forward in this time is to embrace these questions by embracing the Holy Spirit. We don't need to force an answer. We don't need to talk ourselves into a predetermined answer. Instead, instead we are called to pray, to listen, to watch, and to see where the Holy Spirit is leading us. And when the time comes, we are also called to get up and to go. Amen.